life. I am Dr. Sergio Martinez, physical therapist for Courage Mobile Physical Therapy. And I'm Rocio Martinez, Dr. Rocio Martinez with Surge Mobile Physical Therapy. And today Stephanie. we have a guest who is a UT RGV uh, exercise science major. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Stephanie Chavez. I'm an exercise science major um, with a concentration in physical therapy. All right. So Stephanie Chavez is actually one of our employees at Surgical Physical Therapy. She's been doing a great job. Um, she's our front desk specialist and uh, we're lucky to have her and we're excited to have this interview with her today. And so I know she actually has some interview questions for us as we do for her. So Stephanie, go ahead and ask away. And I think you're on mute. There you go. Sorry, I thought I pressed on mute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So um, I have a project for my internship class, and okay. I um, produced some questions for you guys. So the first portion is um, asking you guys more about um, the comorbidities um, that we're facing right now and how you guys deal with that. Um, and if there's any anaerobic or aerobic exercises that can be implemented in helping them out. So the first question is, what accommodations are needed when treating patients with health condi conditions such as hypertension, pulmonary disease, cardiovascular disease, obesity, and diabetes? Yeah, so I, I think I'll, I'll chime in for this one a little bit. Um, so whenever we have patients with any of those comorbidities, um, and most of the time we have patients that have multiple comorbidities, none of them um, really come in with, or a few of them really come in with none or less than a few, right? Um, they always have some sort of comorbidity going on, depending on the geographical area that you're in, right? So in the area that we're in, we see um, a lot of Medicare patients. And for that reason, there's more of the elderly population will have a few more comorbidities than the younger pop Um so just making sure we monitor during exercise, uh, being prepared before we see the patient, obviously knowing what their comorbidities are so that you're prepared during exercise, um, but making sure that we're monitoring signs of hypotension and hypertension, um, hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia. And by that, I mean um, low blood pressure, high blood pressure and low blood sugar and high blood sugar because exercise will have an effect on this, right? By either increasing or decreasing blood pressure and exercise, it'll increase blood pressure. And for um, sugar, it'll decrease blood sugar, right? So some some signs, right? Keeping, uh, knowing the signs of hypotension. So that's low blood, low blood pressure, making sure you're watching out for signs of dizziness, lightheadedness. Um, and that kind of piggybacks with low blood sugar, watching out for dizziness, lightheadedness, sweating, um, making sure um, that you have some sort of juice available for patients in case that does happen. Um, that way they can uh, recoup their blood sugar or eating prior to therapy. Um, with, with high blood pressure, um, normally you want to look for, um, if you, if you have a blood pressure over 220, hundred, that's kind of like the high end. You want to make sure that you're not having patients work way too, too hard because if their blood pressure goes over that, then we're kind of risking them for other issues. Right. So one of the, one of the ones is stroke, right? So making sure that you're not, uh, exerting patients past a breaking point, right? So that's why we constantly have to monitor them, making sure they're not in increased pain, making sure their vitals are not out of whack, and they're not feeling any weird symptoms during exercise. Sergio, you have anything to add to that? Yeah, so um, also with like the hypertension, 
usually like if you see uh what i like to do is i like to check patient's blood pressure before therapy session during and also afterwards uh, just to see if uh, their blood pressure especially the systolic pressure has increased by 25 millimeters of mercury or more if it has i usually kind of put therapy on hold at that moment and just kind of let them rest a little bit or probably call it a day and uh, make sure on the next session if you know they're still having that same issues and we'll probably have to give our doctor a call and see if maybe this needs to be adjustment of some sort um also if their diastolic pressure increases by 10 millimeters of mercury or more in the session we'll we'll call it a day as well um for patients with uh obesity the accommodations that we have to make is uh if they're about 350 pounds or more it is challenging for them to be on our tables. So luckily we do have high low tables, which are like these mechanical tables that can go all the way down. But um, if they have you know issues with walking or transferring, things like that, usually the outpatient facility may not be the most appropriate setting for them. And so usually we'll have to refer away to either a inpatient facility or home health facility uh, just so that they can get the proper care that they deserve. With, um, I'll kind of add on to that with patients with cardiopulmonary diseases, especially if they come in with needing oxygen, um, we'll want to check their oxygen levels and uh, their blood oxygen levels, as well as their oxygen levels in the tank if they're coming in with oxygen. Um, you during exercise, you want to make sure you're above the 90 percent, um, saturation range when exercising because of the increased oxygen demand to tissues, right? Mm -hmm. So exercise will increase oxygen demand, which means if they already have problems getting oxygen to those tissues, then they're going to need a little bit more help. Um, so we may wanna um, take more frequent, frequent rest breaks for those types of patients, making sure that they're catching their breath, making sure that um, we're allowing enough time for those tissues to get the extra oxygen that they need. Um, I know you guys face this more in home visits. Is that correct? Um, with that, with those type of situations? Yes. Yeah, so typically in the home health setting, they are uh, acute from the hospital setting. So they're, they might be a little more, um, I guess there may be a little more red flags in that sense. So making sure that we are keeping those rest breaks in check, that we're keeping those vitals in check, that we're monitoring those those signs uh, more closely um, rather than in the outpatient setting. Not to say that in outpatient we don't, but in home health, you're correct. We, we do come across that scenario uh, more frequently. Sergio, anything you want to add? Oh, uh, no, I think that's that kind of pretty much cuts it for that question. Do you have any other questions? Okay, yes. Uh, my next question would be, could you explain any anaerobic or aerobic exercises that can be implemented in treating patients with certain conditions? Or And can you provide an example? Yeah, so, um, man, you're making me go way back for exercise physiology here. But... Um, What's it called? So usually good examples of anaerobic exercises, which is basically fast like motions um, that work on the type two muscle fibers. Um, a good example, especially in the geriatric population, which we primarily see right now, uh, would be like sit to stands. So, you know, our bed mobility, meaning, you know, turning in bed or getting out of bed. Uh, those little motions that we kind of take for granted that seem pretty easy for us right now as we get older and as you know, as we start atrophying or if we get sick in the hospital and you know, we're bed bound, you know, those uh, type one muscle fibers kind of seem to kind of take control of the geriatric, pop geriatric population more frequently than the type two. And so we have to retrain those type two muscle fibers to, for them to be able to do that motion again. So the sit to stance, bed mobility transfers, meaning getting from the bed to the wheelchair or, bed just to stand, you know, 
all those things would be a great example for an anaerobic exercise. Also, I'll add, I'll add to that in saying that, um, like Sergio said, with anaerobic, we're focusing on training the type two muscle fibers. So I, I kind of like to think of it as, and I'm thinking student brain, right? Because when you're in school, you're like, okay, how do I classify one or the other, right? So I like to think of anaerobic more like power type activities. Um, so those prescriptions would go more of along the lines of high load, less reps. So maybe giving someone a 10 pound weight to do for, you know, five reps versus 10 reps. That's an example. Um, with anaerobic, like Sergio, with aerobic, sorry, like Sergio said, we're training the type one muscle fibers. So I kind of like to think of that as like cardio, biking, cycling activities. Um, so low, the prescription for that would be more like low loads, but more repetition. So more endurance type activities like walking, you know, things like that. Um, that that would be my take on that question. And then, I mean, there's obviously more in-depth explanation, but that's our uh, in a nutshell explanation. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, for the last question of this portion, I want to ask, on average, how many patients do you see every week who are diagnosed with diabetes? And of those, how many follow the exercise recommendations you provide for them in order to help with their condition? So surprisingly, a lot of our patients don't come just because of the diabetes. Usually they come to us for pain and they just so happen to have diabetes as well, or high blood pressure or whatever. And so um, with that being said, uh, they just kind of care about their pain more than anything else. And so that we understand that. But you also have to understand that we have to explain our patients that if you have diabetes, if you do have high blood pressure, all that impedes your healing as well. And so we have to address those things as well. And so that's why Rocio and I have been collaborating with local gyms, you know, around the areas to see if we can con help combat that issue. Um, because when they come to us, it's usually anywhere from one to three times a week at the most, but usually it's one to two times a week. And so that alone wouldn't be enough to help combat those issues because when they're with us, we're usually doing more things to help with their pain which is very important because if their pain's not addressed, then they're not going to go to the gym to work out either. Right. And so it's like, we, we all have to work together in order for us to combat that issue. And so that's what we're trying to do. Uh, our next episode will actually be with uh, rip current athletics. Uh, they're a, a gym in Port Isabel that we are going to be collaborating with. And so we're excited about that. And to kind of piggyback on that a little bit, um, it, my take on that would be it depends on the geographical area that you're in again. Um, so I want to say right now, uh, maybe about 50, close to 50% of our pop uh, come in with some form of either diabetes or other comorbidity in their, um, in their list of past medical history, right? So compliance with exercise is an issue across the board with physical therapy, right? I mean, we've been patients ourselves, and um, I want to say that I've been non-compliant, guilty as charged um, sometimes, right? So we 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 want to be able to promote that wellness, right? Being to to be able to help improve the quality of life of patients, right? So that's also why we're also trying to do this collaboration with local gym in that area. Um, that way we are promoting that as well. So after not only the pain with therapy, right, but keeping and maintaining um, that wellness after their therapy program has ended. Right. And to piggyback off of that is we also want to help the local gym communities uh, retain their clients because a lot of time, when clients start to go to these exercises and stuff, they, they end up getting hurt somehow or they get discouraged because they're too sore and they, you know, have that misconception of pain. But it's usually a normal thing to experience after exercising, especially after the first two weeks. Um, 
And so what we're doing to collaborate with them is saying, hey, let us assess them before they start going to the gym and we can help you create a home exercise program for them, for the gym. And then as they get those things down, then you can start progressing to the gym as well, just so they can have a, a peace of mind that, you know, they're going to be okay, um, that they're not going to hurt themselves. And, you know, so that they can continue with the routine to help, you know, improve those comorbidities. I do agree with that. I've seen a lot of people that have been injured by the gym and they don't seek out physical therapy and it takes forever to heal. And I, in my opinion, it takes faster to heal with physical therapy. So um, for the next portion, I wanted to ask more about you guys. So um, I wanted to see, uh, I wanted to know where you guys went to school, uh, when did, where did you graduate and all that stuff. So. All right, you wanna go first? So I, I, I went to school. So undergraduate, whew, so undergraduate, I went to uh, uh, UTESCA. So I went to UT Health Science Center over in San Antonio. I was one of the crazy ones that wanted to just jump into the hospital setting. I was uh, obsessed with the acute hospital setting, the fast paced uh, lifestyle. So um I applied there. I actually applied to two, which I'm, I'll take this as a just uh, encouraging moment for students. I applied to two different programs. I had applied to the associate's degree for respiratory care at UTB back then. It was called UTB. And I applied to the bachelor's program at San Antonio, so UTESCA. And I got denied um, at UTB. Um, the reason that I received was that there was an overload of applications at the time. And so they didn't know when I would be able to get accepted. So at the same time, I decided, thankfully, to apply to the other program because that one accepted me. And so my take, my uh, encouraging spiel just about that is don't give up um, on your dreams uh especially when it comes to your career right what you want to do in the long term so i uh did respiratory care graduated there in 2013 i practiced at the county hospital there um and a children's hospital as well so i specialized in the neonatal intensive care unit the pediatric intensive care unit the cardiac uh, intensive care units and um, I got I got into the transport team. So I went in uh, rides in helicopters and airplanes and ambulances uh, to go pick up uh, sick babies from other um, regional hospitals that did not have the available care that the babies needed. And we would transport them back to our hospital. So our hospital was a level four um, so very good hospital. Uh, University Hospital is where I was at and Children's Hospital downtown. And I also did some LTAC work. So long-term acute uh, hospital work there. Kindred Hospital was amazing. I got to learn so much about the acute care areas. Um, and going along with that, I got to work closely with therapists in the acute care setting. So I liked that part of the allied health field and I decided to apply to PT school um, at Mary Harden Baylor in 20, oh gosh, when did I start there? 2015, yes, 2015 is when I got, uh, and I decided to only apply to that one school. It was a new program, we were a charter class, and so luckily I got accepted. Um, I didn't apply to any other schools, but that was just my, my case. And uh, they didn't require any GRE at the time. And so that was really, I was lucky because I hadn't even studied for anything like that. And so I said, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So I applied, got approved and graduated there in 2017. And that's that question. So I'll let Sergio take it on from there. So I'm not as badass as my wife, but um, I definitely got my bachelor's at 19. You know, I was uh, kind of like the fast track with the dual enrollment program. So um, graduated early as a junior, 
got my bachelor's at 19. And then I got accepted to University of Incarnate Word, which is in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, it was also the charter school. So we were the first class of that program as well. So Rocio and I know the ins and outs of, you know, being the guinea pigs of a physical therapy program, and which was stressful, but rewarding at the same time. Uh, and expensive because they were both private universities. So we wouldn't be in debt forever. <laughs> but um, with that being said, uh, I graduated in 2015. So when I graduated, Rocio started. So it was perfect because we got to support each other to get into school. However, I felt like I got into PT school again in 2015 because my wife was always asking me questions for the physical therapy field every day. So, and I would have to stay up late and study with her for her tests coming up. So I was like, I feel like I'm in PT school all over again. But um, with that being said, I mean, it, it, it was great. I mean, we had fun. Uh, can't believe time flies, but, um, but yeah. And then after, while she was in Mayor Hart and Baylor, I went into Manual Therapy Institute, which is a residency and fellowship program right after PT school. Uh, it's a total of three years and that's fast track, you know? So uh, I did the fastest track. Um, I did my hours under uh, Dr. Uh, Josh and uh, Dr. Uh, Peter and they're at Mondo Sports Therapy. And, uh, you know, I, we learned a lot of stuff over there in Austin. Uh, they have their own clinic and they saw a lot of primarily athletes, runners, uh, I mean, even Olympians. I mean, they saw, they saw all these top notch athletes. And so I was very fortunate to, you know, just be there and learn under the best of the best in the central Texas area. And after, I finished my fellowship there. We were pregnant. We were pregnant with our first son and uh, we decided to move back down and uh, started working here in the South Texas area before we started our own practice. And here we are. Any other questions? Um, I wanted to know more about why you chose that school um, uh, that you graduated from, uh, Incarnate Word. And oh, yeah. I noticed here you explained it a little bit, but I just want to know like an extension of why. Like, oh, okay, like yeah. So it was closer to uh, home. And so um, they, I was, you know, brought up family oriented. It's probably because of how our culture is down here. But I mean, I just didn't want to be away from family. And also my wife was already in San Antonio going through respiratory school. So I wanted to be definitely closer to her. So the fact that the program was in San Antonio was also a blessing. And the fact that it was like, you know, the first class, you know, it, it sounded very appealing just because, you know, we would be the, the trailblazers of the program. And uh, our, we would have a plaque of our picture, you know, for every classmate to start. Like, hey, these are the OGs right here, you know? So that was pretty cool. Yeah, and so I, I, I would say the same uh, undergraduate and graduate, um, closer to home. So uh, that was my take on it, as if I could stay closer to home. I actually was one of those that did not want to leave home, but I thought, hmm, I need to do something <laughs> with my life. And so um, that's why I applied to programs, you know, in town, but it just happened the way it happened. And it was great. And um, the, the the graduate school that I chose, um, not only because it was going to be the first class and I, I wanted to be a part of that, I wanted to make that change in my field, um, but also because they were very service based. And so that was one of the things that we got in uh we got uh, integrated into us during our program is always be thinking about your community, always be thinking about ways that you can service your population better, uh, further your education better. And so I, I really, really like that um, aspect of, of my education for that graduate school that I attended. So um, I would say those were, those would be my answers for that question. 
I also want to know uh, if you guys have any advice for students that are trying to get into uh, graduate school or trying to get into physical therapy um, as a field. Yes, I would say, first of all, is don't give up. So look at different options. Again, think of, you know, do you want to stay close to home or what are your goals with that? Um, and think about uh, the support that you're going to have during those times. And so are you going to be looking for financial aid, grad plus loans, or have you had money saved up? Um, I, I don't recommend, honestly, because I've had peeps that have done it and it was a little more stressful and PT school is already stressful as it is, is I don't recommend you working during the program because that is, um, you'll be more tired and your focus won't be all there. And, you know, PT school you're going to be overloaded with lots and lots and lots of information. So uh, if you can try to shoot for good scholarships, um, again, be prepared for, um, for that because PT school is not a joke. It is not easy. And I, uh, it, it, everybody goes through school differently, meaning everybody goes through that stress differently. So I take stress differently that you take stress and Sergio takes stress differently than any other person as well. So making sure that you're trying to stay as organized as possible, but also uh, making sure that you are with a support group that is going to be supporting you positively along the way. Um, don't try to be negative about it. Try to stay positive um, and always maintain gritness. So gritness, gritness, don't give up during the entire process. It will not be easy, um, but it will also be very rewarding in the end um, because of the hard work. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Everybody would be graduating as a PT. And um, unfortunately, there was some, some people during our program that did not make it. Um, and so just don't give up. That, that would be my, my main advice is make sure that this is really what you want. Um, do your research beforehand and making sure you have different options. So that may mean applying to different areas, um, or making sure that you're doing enough hours in different settings so that you make sure that you're going into a field that you're going to be passionate about. Sergio, anything to add on that? No, I mean, I feel like you kind of summed it up pretty good. Um, I think the other advice of would be, you know, like, I feel like every PT student that I've come across and that I've dealt with or that I've went to school with, uh, everyone was trying to strive for the A, for the A, for the A. And, you know, we made a little saying, you know, in school, once we probably got like in our fourth to fifth semester because we were already kind of like just burnt out, you know, we would say, you know what, A's, B's and C's get DPTs, all right? So we lived by that motto. And so we got to see, oh, well, you know, we passed, you know, um, as, as long as you maintain your 3.0 GPA in the semester and if you don't get more than one C, um, in that semester, you'll be fine. You know, don't don't worry. Uh, take some breaks as needed. You know, don't don't try don't try to bunch up everything at the last minute. You know, in PT school, that's just impossible. Um, I remember in undergrad, I never needed a planner or a scheduler or anything like that to remember when I had a test or to remember when I had an assignment due. But in PT school, I needed. A planner like I absolutely needed one and I was in shock of how my planner was just full with things from day one to day 30 of the month or whatever and I'm just like oh my god so look at the tree not the forest okay that's all I can say it's just tackle one thing at a time by looking at one tree at a time and don't look at everything because it's gonna overwhelm you just tackle one thing at a time I also want to know, as a physical therapist, what has been um, an experience that has been proven rewarding to you? 
Yeah. So I would say it actually had to do with a patient who had diabetes. And um, this patient had a bilateral knee amputation. So he was wheelchair bound and he had just gotten his new orthotics, you know, that we were able to use. But I mean, he was nowhere near ready for him. So we had to strengthen him, strengthen him, strengthen him. He was coming to the clinic at least three times a week. And it took probably at least a month before we started even putting the orthotics on him just to start getting the feel of using the muscles with the orthotics, you know. And then after another month, we finally were able to stand him up, put him in the parallel bars and walk with them. And it was just like a awesome moment because that was his goal. His goal was to just to be able to walk again. And, you know, when we had someone like that with bilateral knee amputations, it was, it was rough. I mean, you can just tell the patient was very depressed, um, uh, gaining weight because of lack of activity. And so the fact that we were able to help him get some hope back and just to see that spark in their eye, that smile, you know, that they're doing something that they haven't done in a long time. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, and 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 for me, I, I it's it's rewarding in the sense that I get to see patients get better, and that's my ultimate goal is for them to try it, for me to be able to help them reach. Uh, their goals, right? And we may not be able to reach all their goals, but if we can help them enough to where they have that improved quality of life, um, where they can say, you know what, I wasn't able to carry my kid before and now I'm able to carry my child. Or with pediatrics, you know, seeing a kid go from not being able to walk to taking their first steps. Um, and so just just meeting those milestones with patients, I get think to me it's is the most rewarding piece of, of it all. And I know I don't say it enough, but I want to thank you guys so much because you treat patients in a way like I've never seen before. You always take priority in your patients and I really admire that from you guys. And you guys have like persuaded me more into being in the physical therapy field. So I thank you guys for that. So um, my next question I want to ask um, was now kind of relating to that but um, more the challenging side of it. Um, what has been the most challenging thing about being a physical therapist? I, I would, I wanna answer that first because um, right now in the physical therapy realm, we um, are dealing with difficulties if you accept insurances in your practice. So I think for me as a therapist, um, the hardest and cha most challenging part, even as a business owner, is having to deal with insurances, um, having to deal with the fact that insurances get to dictate um, how much therapy a patient gets approved for or how much they need or they deserve when they don't really know Um us as PTs, we, we've been trained to, to evaluate patients and assess them and be able to tell, okay, let's see you for, for these amount of visits for this amount of time. But then a lot of times insurance says, well, wait, they're not approved for that many, or this is what you get and that's it. And then along with that is the reimbursement that we get is as a business owner, we're trying to be able to keep our doors open to serve as many people as possible with the highest quality care and right now we are being able we are able to do that by trying to stay one one-on-one -on -one with patients during these sessions making sure that they're the patients are with the therapist the entire session um but in other areas or settings that we've worked in in other places that we worked in that might not might not have been the case right so um because insurance reimbursement is decreasing per visit, then that increases the load on the therapist side, meaning that they may have to see three patients or even up to four patients per visit. 
and that has to mean decreased quality care for each patient or has to mean that we have to incorporate a, a technician or, or an assistant to be able to help out with that load. And so that over time may burden the physical therapist mentally and physically. And I would say, I mean, this could be a whole other conversation and podcast in itself, right? But I would say for me as a therapist and a business owner, over my experience, that would be the most challenging aspect of it is not so much the therapy side of things, but more so the insurance reimbursement of things. Sergio, do you, do you have anything to take? Maybe not on the insurance side, but maybe more on the PT side. Um, well, I was going to talk about how the fact that we started a business when the pandemic hit. Right. And so that was probably the moment I realized that my job isn't the most highest security out there, you know, in the medical field. And so, you know, the fact that we were shut down in Port Isabel for a month, uh, you know, it kind of scared us, you know, it scared us because, you know, we had payroll to, you know, complete, we had rent to pay. You know, we had bills to pay and yet we had no patients coming in. And, you know, that was just a very troubling time just because we didn't know what to do. And, you know, patients didn't want to be seen. Patients didn't want to go to the clinic. Doctors weren't sending patients to the clinic because, you know, we were all scared of this whole coronavirus thing. And I mean, granted, you know, we still are, but, you know, you know, Rocio and I, you, Stephanie, we've all been vaccinated, you know, um, both vaccines um, to help, you know, put the community at ease as well. And then we also um, are very disciplined in our, you know, cleaning regimen there at the clinic. I mean, we're sanitizing like all the time. And so, you know, I feel like in a way it's, it's good because it, it, it shows that, you know, we had some areas to work on to maintain a very clean clinic. So, I mean, I like that we're doing that now, but I mean, I would say as a business owner and as a PT, you know, I did feel like, Oh my God, am, am, am I supposed to be doing something else now? You know, am I, is PT not the profession that I should stay in because of the, the security purpose of this whole virus thing. And so, I think what we did to, to what I think about what we did to help me eliminate that was it's great that we have a hybrid practice. And what do I mean by that? I mean that, you know, we don't just offer outpatient services. We offer mobile services and we offer traditional home health services. And so patients still need to be seen. Patients still wanted to be seen. So if they didn't want to go to the clinic, but they were okay with us going to them, you know, we were able to find ways around that. And then also telehealth. Telehealth was something that Rocio and I had talked about even before the pandemic. We had started implementing that before the pandemic. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit, it became off, you know, the, the go-to standard, you know? And so I felt like that was awesome because we were ahead of the game, you know, for telehealth services as well. So, I mean, you know, we, we improvised, you know, we, we sat down, we made a plan. We didn't just give up. And I think, um that's what you know helped us survive this pandemic as a business and continue to grow so that was all the questions i had for you guys um that was um those two portions that i wanted to discuss with you awesome, awesome. thank you so much um I, I i do have a few questions for you um, and this relates more to the sense of um, your life as a student and uh, your future a little bit. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what what are you majoring in when you graduate? So I know you kind of said you're aspiring to be a physical therapist, uh, maybe why you want to, to go to PT school. Yeah, so um, I didn't realize I liked physical therapy until my junior year of college. 
it was really hard to me because I'm a very indecisive person. I changed my major five times throughout my college um, years. But when I actually realized that I wanted to do physical therapy was I actually changed my major to exercise science, from biology to exercise science and a concentration in physical therapy. And I noticed a drastic change in my classes and it was something that I was actually interested in. And um, I still didn't know that much about physical therapy, but I loved learning about the body, about how exercise impacts our physiology. So that was something I found really neat about that. And um, it wasn't until I started working for you guys that it opened my mind to a lot of things um, about physical therapy. And it made me want to be a therapist even more. So that was also, it also persuaded me into going into that field. Um, and uh, I want to go to PT school basically for that reason, to continue on um, my dream to become a therapist in the future. Awesome. Awesome. Um, also, what have you learned in working uh, in a PT clinic? Anything that uh, you think has or will help you in the future in becoming a physical therapist? So a lot of things I've learned is the most part is how to treat the patients, um, how to gain that trust with them beforehand, because you're treating them, um, you're treating the, their body. Um, and for them to, to trust you, you have to like connect with them in, one, in a sort of way. I didn't know you had to do that before. I just thought you just treated them and that's it. But I, as every day went by, I saw the connection you guys made with your patients. And I saw how that helped a lot um, with treating them. So I was like, oh, okay, so you have to take that extra step for treating them. And I also learned quite a bit of things like electrical stimulation, um, like using the therapeutic gun on patients. Um, I learned the units that we have to learn. Um, you guys said that that was really helpful for PT school. So I'm excited for that, like the manual therapy, neural, neuromuscular, um, uh, the moderate evaluations, all that stuff. And Dr. Wu is actually teaching me right now how to do an initial evaluation on a patient. So all of this information is, is super great for me as an undergraduate student trying to get into PT school. And now that I have more of a gist of it, I'm very thankful. Like, it'll be a lot more easier for me, I say, as compared to a student that doesn't know that much about how a clinic runs and all that stuff. So... Yeah, I think for sure you'll be uh, um, very well prepared when it comes to that that portion of it. So I, I, I hope that we've been able to provide you with a lot of help in that sense. Um, go, going into the aspect of PT school, the process of application, what has that process been like for you? So right now I'm taking baby steps. Um, I've done research on many of schools. That's I feel like that's the first thing you have to do. Um, right now I'm interested in public and private schools. So hopefully I can get loans, grants, all that stuff. But um, so I've been wanting to stay in Texas, like you guys, like stay as close to home. So my first choice is Utesca. So hopefully I get accepted to that. Or my second choice is Texas State. Um, and then I'll apply to Incarnate Word. And I just have a list of uh, university, I mean, graduate schools that I want to apply to and um, just slowly get there. And then right now I apply to the GRE. That's another important part in the process, just getting a high GRE. I've got GRE practice books to help me out. Um, I've been studying every weekend and whatever I can during the week. Um, also, you need to um, create the PCAST. I also need to do that. And then um, just focus on the on getting that done, honestly, like for the process of it. I don't know if you guys want to expand on, on your process on how it was, if I'm missing anything. So keeping your grades up, right? Um, that's like probably the most important thing. Um, I know that the minimum requirement is 3.0, but... I don't think people who have 3.0 get looked at, to be honest. You know, um, I would say if you have a 3.5 or higher, um, your odds of gaining are much higher than ones that are not. Um, letters of recommendations, uh, great ones, right, from PTs and from 
professors uh, are important. Um, doing your observation hours in multiple settings too, because if they see that you're only doing outpatient settings as your, you know, volunteer hours, they're not going to be convinced that you know what the whole PT profession can do. And so I think the more things you have under your belt, the more they're going to feel confident in you that you know what the PT profession is all about and what it can offer. And despite learning everything, you still want to be a PT. Um, the other thing is uh, finances, right? Uh, be prepared if you go into a private school to get, you know, parent loans, you know, grad, they're called grad plus loans, you know, the subsidized, unsubsidized loans. I mean, uh, be prepared to ask for the maximum because if you're not living with your parents while going to PT school, uh, like let's just say, you know, you're, you're here in Brownsville, but you're going to go to San Antonio. Well, if you want to leave in a decent area, I mean, it's going to cost you anywhere from, you know, $800 plus just for rent, you know, and that's not including the gas to get there, the food, and, you know? So, I mean, just, you know, I, I tell, all my students just prepared to save now if you have a job or, you know, just to kind of help you get through the first semester. Um, just because sometimes PT schools require you to buy a bunch of books at the first semester. Like I remember in my, in my program, you were required to buy like 30 books on the first semester. And I was like, Oh my God, like there goes my whole financial aid check, you know? So, or if you can, if, or if you know someone who went to PT school and they're using the same, you know, books, same editions, maybe ask around like, hey, um, are you still using this book? If not, can I borrow it? You know, and just using the same textbooks if you can, just to help save money on books. But, um, but yeah, just save as much as you can. Uh, work in the summer before PT program starts just to have some monies to help you move or uh, because I know when, when I did, I mean, I had to do all that stuff and it wasn't, it wasn't the best job in the world, you know, it was cleaning toilets and, you know, cleaning the floors and delivering sandwiches, you know, even with a bachelor's degree, but Hey, I needed to make some money. I needed to pay the bills. And so you do what you got to do, but always remember that experience is, uh, required to humble you and to appreciate what you have and what you work for. I would say piggyback on that uh, to piggyback on that is um, one of the scholarships that I got that was really helpful for me during school was called the TG Wooten scholarship. And I'll type it on here. Um, in the uh, in the conversation there, the TG Wooden Scholarship, I applied for that one. It wasn't uh, very difficult to apply to, and I was able to four thousand dollars from it. And so I did get other scholarships that were smaller, like two thousand or one thousand, but those I was able to save up and budget my rent. Or if, I don't know if you if you're going to be rooming or not, but um, to be able to afford my expenses um, every single month that I was in school. Um, but as far as applying to school, also um, whenever you're applying to these schools and maybe get an interview, they want to see the service side of you. So they want to see something different than just a high GPA, completing all your classes, having a good letter of recommendation. They also want to see um, your your personal unique side of it, right? So what do you have that's different than the other person walking in? So um, I always say, uh, that it's important to get familiar with the PT core values, and you can find those on the APTA website. Um, they may have you do an essay for as part of your interview, and so that was my essay: is getting familiar, um, explaining the core values and how that ties into physical therapy and service. So, so that you provide to the community. So, getting familiar with those. Um, knowing that those are the types of things that they are looking for. Um, always being yourself, um, 
being respectful um, and staying professional as well um, is, is, is what they're looking for. Um, they will, I always said, you know, during therapy, I mean, during, during PT school, you always want to be like perfect, right? And, and that's not going to happen. So you can't be a perfect therapist. And when you get to the clinical side of things, it gets much more humbling, um, than that, because you cannot be a perfect therapist. Nobody, nobody ever will tell you that they are a perfect therapist because in the PT world, at least that's not the way it happens. And so you get to learn a lot from your parent, from your patients, and it gets to be a more humbling experience along the way. You will, you will learn a lot from your patients. And I want to say to just make sure to stay yourself, right? So uh, a patient will maybe not remember the smartest of the therapist. They will always remember how you made them feel. So if you made them feel uh, with compassion and care and, uh, uh, you know, altruistic of yourself, then they will remember that person. They'll remember how you made them feel wherever you go. So just taking that just with as a grain of salt with that. And, you know, Stephanie, for you, I, I do want to say that we wish you the best of luck in all your future endeavors. Um, you are a great person. You're a great human being. And uh, you are you already have a lot of the foundation going into PT school and really into any any profession if you decide to change um, last minute. So <clears throat> the the front office is really, really, really <clears throat> the most, if not the most important part of a business. I've always said, um, so you're the, the face of the business. People come in, you're the first person they greet. People call you the first person they listen to. And so you are guiding every single patient along the way as well. So you're the first person they meet. And so, uh, you know, you have to make sure that you um, uh, provide the most passion, the most service, the more, the most respect along the way, the most professional aspect. So we do want to thank you for choosing to be part of our team um, because it is a stressful job in itself as well, having to deal with insurances um, and, you know, trying to multitask with different things. And so um, those are things that will prepare you into any type of profession that you choose to do um, for yourself. And so we wish you good luck in, in, in this process. Thank you. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think that wraps up our podcast for today. Um, and again, my name is Dr. Sergio Martinez and my wife, Dr. Rocio Martinez and our front office specialist and exercise science major, Stephanie Chavez, who aspires to be a physical therapist. Tuning out. Thanks, guys. Thank you.